0: This is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. Everybody, welcome to Spark My Muse. And today, my guest is KJ Ramsey. She is a licensed professional counselor, also a podcaster. She's written a whole bunch of articles. And she is the author of This Too Shall Last, Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers. I'm so grateful that you could share some time with me. Thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: It is so good to be with you. Um, You and I have been Twitter friends for a while. And so it's just really fun to actually be having a conversation with our real voices.
0: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, and I have really appreciated your Twitter feed has a lot of love and light and grace to it. So hopefully if there are Twitter people that are also listeners of this podcast, they can follow you on Twitter as as like the extra bonus because there's a lot (laughs) to get out of that. (laughs) I really have found well, Twitter is a place where people, you know, do a lot of venting and and exhibit Mm. their frustrations, which is all fine. It just depends on what you want to get out of it. But I have had to purposefully mute people and people i love people i have a whole bunch of their books and everything it's just how they use twitter is different than how i'm going to get something from them and i'll mute certain words occasionally or else you i'm not going to yeah i can't spend too much time on it so i have very much curated who i you know, who i receive from and make sure that it's people who are at least 80% of the time putting really useful, helpful things. And it can be authentic and real and not cheery Mm -hmm. all the time, but there's a difference between putting out, you know, real things. We're all humans and we all have struggles. And then there's a difference between using it as a place to vent. And I can only take so much. (laughs) I can only take so much of myself doing that too. I'll, I'll find myself doing the very same thing.
1: Same. Yeah. Honored (laughs) to be on your list of people that do not overstimulate you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. You fill up the tank instead of drain it. Perfect. (laughs) We have a lot of overlap in our books and really wrote about very different things. And uh, my training is spiritual formation and accompaniment and your training is licensed professional counselor. But I noticed we both covered suffering. Of course, you cover it extensively. And I cover it in a, a section of my book called Firebogs. I cover it as mm-hmm. a place that is named that's terrain. And so when I saw this in your book, I thought, wow, man, I'm re- reading this in February. But I was like, I was looking over your shoulder. Some some of it is really just there's, the overlap is great. So I'm hoping it's just the spirit moving. <laughs> and yeah, no, I love thing. that.
1: Yeah. No, seriously, I think that the spirit brings us to the same places. Like mm. there's there's one God, one spirit in all of us, and we're being written into this bigger story. Um, so it makes sense that we would come to a lot of the same conclusions and even use really similar language. Mm. I think that's evidence of the spirit of God.
0: Mm. When you're writing your book, you talk about your personal journey with chronic illness and a specific issue of inflammatory arthritis. It's a specifically named and everything, which I would botch up trying to <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, not a develop. fun name. And that plays a lot into your suffering that lasts and lasts and also different ways you were perceived or approached that was hurtful or harmful. Or people would might say, you know, have more faith. Everybody has their little ideas of what could be helpful. This book is about when pain is not past tense. People who are critically ill or who have ongoing issues, for instance, like my son is disabled. Well, he is going to be disabled for his whole life. You know, and there are mm-hmm. just things that are painful and hard. And That's it. (laughs) There isn't like a a healing that's going to happen, right?
1: Yeah. Or they remain part of your story forever. Like one of my best friends got divorced last year. Divorce will always be part of her story. Right. So, what do you you do with that?
0: Yeah. And there's grief that that pops back up. Maybe you can talk about, you know, as you've been journeying through some places in the community of, of Christians have been really unhelpful but some of some people have handled things the right way and mm-hmm. how would you say people have held space for you in the best ways oh
1: yeah there's so many ways that people have held space for me that have strengthened me
0: mm-hmm.
1: honestly the the probably the common denominator of all of the most strengthening relationships I have are relationships where there is a willingness to sit in silence
0: Mm.
1: where there's room to not have answers, to not have to explain what's happening, Mm. um, but to be together in the middle of it. That's Mm. the the biggest thing Mm -hmm. over and over.
0: Now, would you say that people who can do that better generally have had their own bunch of suffering? Or does it seem like, um, well, maybe there's just sort of people who are more sensitive to in an empathetic way. And I say this because something I've noticed with people who want to sort of fix or attempt to fix or advise is that they're actually uncomfortable about Mm -hmm. something that your situation reflects in them that they can't control.
1: Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So both. I do think that, you know, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort others in any of their afflictions. That's true. And so the places where we've Walked into the cloud of uncertainty and learned that the shepherd is still with us. Are the places where we can walk with others and you know put our hand on their shoulder and say you're not lost. Uh, but also, I think that we can the the people that are safe and soothing in the middle of our suffering are those who have willingly gone to that place of silence and unknowing and uncertainty just Mm. in their spiritual life. So the practice of silence and solitude, Mm. people who have made that a rhythm Mm. are usually the people who can be with you and not have to fix you because Mm. they know what it's like to be with God and not have to bring anything to the table.
0: Mm. Mm. I love how you say that. You mentioned also about um, a lot of shame that comes from, you know, this is, a lot of this is cultural and we pull on ourselves too about whether it's, you know, not finding healing or just feeling um, out of place or abnormal or alone. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how shame has figured into Obviously, you can't reveal the whole book, or that would spoil it. But <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, it's okay.
0: But you know, um, a little bit of the journey of of some of the hardest parts of you relating to shame, and then some of the ways that that those pieces that were hurt were healed. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I talk about shame a lot in the book because I ex- have experienced. In the course of my life, this persistent, pernicious need to protect myself Mm -hmm. and to hide my imperfections or my vulnerabilities. And I think that 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 self-protection is really something that was... It's a fire that was sparked to life in the fall into sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so biblically, I really see that um, in that story in the garden, when Adam and Eve decide that they want to be like God and know the difference between good and evil, they reach for that, that they suddenly they're, they're naked And they're shamed so before they were naked which i think i've read that the um the hebrew word there with nakedness is about vulnerability before Mm. their their vulnerability did not evoke the feeling and the the experience of shame Mm. but after this reaching for this knowledge that was bigger than their bodies could hold Mm. their bodies experience shame Mm. and and I, and there's some people who might hear the word shame and be like, I'm not, I don't feel shame all the time. Like maybe you feel anger or fear is more palpable, but I think that shame, when we think about it in terms of its physiology, um, can better sense how that's happening. And so shame is this, is this physical experience of, of a lack of safety and a need to hide and need to run away. Um, mm-hmm. I very much associate it with the our body's stress response and the shutdown that happens when we don't feel adequately safe and known. Mm. So that's the that's the like maybe um uh, thirty thousand foot part. I think you asked right. me about my story though? Yeah. So I've I've experienced. It's like it's my it's through my experience of being ashamed of my body. Or Monday, Monday, I randomly flared, my disease randomly flared, and I had to reschedule all of my counseling sessions. Mm. And I was like, I texted one of my friends, um, just like, it's really hard to be the person who has to cancel all the time. Mm. And that used to evoke a lot of shame because I did not feel that I was meeting society's expectations of what it Means to be a productive contributing member of the world, but Mm -hmm. now I can now I can like experience that sensation and that discomfort and tell the story of what it means a little bit differently because I know how
0: God sees me. And productivity plays a lot into what you talk about in the book about wanting to, you know, you have certain ideas or ambitions or expectations and then you you don't really have a choice of what your body's going to do your your body is going to do what it's it needs what it needs and yeah um, it's interesting too because it's it's like um it's a blow to the to the ego for the false self uh, the self that wants to be feel better with some of these outside achievements and and it's a human thing it's not like that's whatever human is going to encounter but it's interesting because then when you're left with when you're left with wow i really can't do this even if i really really want to like <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. just i am done if that can fall away um then you realize well i don't actually have to be defined by that why was i trying to define myself by that anyway that is totally. exhausting yeah. you know <laughs> But that just seems like the default setting for a lot of people, for me, for many people, that's like, I'm going to push and push and push and push. And then something happens either in life or in your body that says, oh, no, you're not.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And it's like a whole deconstruction happens of, of identity or. Yes. All kinds of things, really.
1: Yeah. Like the scaffolding that you had built to mm-hmm. hold yourself up gets torn to bits and then you like can realize oh actually there was already this thing within me holding me together and I didn't need all of those damn two by fours all the way around my body (laughs) like the two by fours of success and Mm -hmm. people pleasing and Mm -hmm. you know all those things um I think that I I'm in, in a sense, I don't like this word, but I'm going to use it anyway, lucky mm. in that, um, you know, a lot of us can keep going a lot longer than my body will allow me to. Mm. And so I kind of get to see my scaffolding fall down faster mm. than I think that I would if I didn't live with a severe disease Mm -hmm. And for that, I really am grateful because it's not like we generally want to, to feel deconstructed, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not fun. Mm -hmm. So I'm thankful in a weird way. I'm not somebody who is comfortable with saying suffering is a gift. Mm -hmm. I think that gets, that can become like a spiritual sword and Mm -hmm. really ugly spiritual bypassing. But I am grateful that I, my body walks me into a story where I don't have to earn being loved. And it takes me mm. to a place that I wouldn't choose to go without the spirit moving my body there.
0: Everybody has a reckoning at some point, usually. And and then it's kind of about whether we're going to... How are we going to respond to that reckoning?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whether we're going to be just completely upset and bitter, and you know, envious of other yeah. people who have the strength, or whether we're going to, you know, take that in as deep wisdom of life. And the sooner okay. we kind of get, you know, to that accepting phase, and I think it there is some grief involved and all that stuff. The sooner we can get there, and it's not like we're fighting life anymore or striving 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 you know but kind of like oh the thing I have to do is adapt actually I have to adapt my attitudes and that's the only thing I can control (laughs) I might only be able to control how I respond to this and nothing else but you know for many people it's going to get it's going to have to come later in life or with some other some other event or something
1: yeah definitely. I don't know what I'm thinking of some quote. it might have it might be Meister Eckhart um but it might be someone else. I'm writing another book right now, so my brain is like <laughs> a catalogue of books and quotes and stuff, but yeah. I think he said something like uh we need to cultivate the courage and the wisdom to find the gift hidden in the ground where we stand mm. like Any path that you take will have a gift hidden within it, but courage and wholeness come when you're willing to find that gift where your feet already stand. And so instead of running from our stories of suffering or the things that are hard and don't go away, like you can plop yourself down on that ground (laughs) and like, all right. There must be, there. there is going to be something good here for me. Mm. And like have the courage to see it, yeah. to look long enough.
0: Right. Another interesting part of your book, I think, that, that kind of companions mine is the idea of getting back, seeing yourself as not your body alone, but at the same time, not disconnecting yourself from your embodied self. Mm-hmm. And you talk about on page 111, An emotional awareness kind of connecting that idea of you know if you're going to process trauma that you're going to hold trauma in your body too it's not Mm -hmm. just some memory that you can talk out and then okay everything's better you know there's going to be trauma that's non-lingual that's going to be stored and have that fight or flight component to it and you say on 111 Emotional awareness is an underdeveloped muscle for many of us, one that can feel uncomfortable to use. As you learn to use it, as you begin using the functions of your left brain to notice the world of your right brain, you will experience gains that make the cloud of suffering more navigable, calm more accessible, and comfort more palpable. One way I walk many of my clients through learning to be more aware of their feelings is by having them pay attention to their thoughts and how they connect to their physical sensations, as in the following exercise, which is a little bit later below. We do not always have the time to walk through a full exercise like this, but we can become more attuned to the distressing thoughts, sensations, and feelings we experience. When we take the time to acknowledge how our bodies feel, we learn the feelings we so fear are not quite as scary as we thought when we notice them name them and breathe deep in their presence we invite the peace of god into the place of our pain and then you talk a a little bit in these bullet points about feeling uh, what those sensations of those feelings and thoughts are as they manifest in the body maybe a tightness in the chest maybe um a reoccurring thought and it would be great if you could mention as you work with people what it means to help someone to have emotional awareness if they're not aware how their body engages Uh, that can be so helpful
1: yeah um there one of one of the theories that I draw from most of my work as a therapist is polyvagal theory and one of the leading experts of polyvagal theory is Deb Dana and she has this really brilliant statement that story follows state so Mm -hmm. the story that you believe about your life and about the situation that you're in right now is the way that your nervous system has made meaning out of the shift happening in your nervous system state Mm -hmm. so like even you right now, what do you, what have you noticed of how your body feels? Do you have any sense of, you know, what it's, what it's like for you to be here in this conversation right now? Hmm. And it's a little vulnerable. <laughs> what's it like for you? Yeah. What's it like to be here right now together?
0: Well, I kind of have some kind of excited feeling in my stomach a little bit. Like I get excited when I'm going to meet someone or do something mm-hmm. new and it kind of is an exciting feeling um, yeah, for some people that's that feels anxious, but I actually kind of like that feeling because I like new things <laughs> so yeah, yeah in this conversation with you it it doesn't feel I don't feel scared i I feel like I am with a friend. so right. I would say that you know around you I feel safe and I don't in this conversation it doesn't feel like a fight or flight or anything it's just kind of a conversation and
1: yeah it's an activating it's a good activation Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and whatever i'm feeling that feels heavy or negative in, in my body i i know it's i'm carrying it over from other things
1: yeah yeah so the context of where we are currently and also the story that you've lived up to this point. So all of the interviews you've done before this, the way you've interacted with other authors like me before, like all of it, the way that your mom talked to you, like the way friends have talked to you, all of that comes together to basically help your nervous system forecast what mm-hmm. it will be like to be with me right now. And yeah. that is how your nervous system is shifting to prepare you to respond to the interaction we're having and the story that you believe about how safe you are with me or how you can show up with me is following and coming, rising up out of the way that your body is shifting in response Mm -hmm. to all those things. Mm -hmm. And so in my work with clients and, and what I try to do in my writing is to, to help us become a little bit more attuned to those shifts that are happening mm. in our nervous system. Mm. So that, you know, if, so for you, if it was a little different, if you, if you had had like some really bad interviews or you have been treated really poorly by a Christian author like me, you could have, that, that fluttering in your stomach could have mm. been a lot of fear. Your body would have interpreted that same physical sensation, the exact same physical sensation, as meaning a whole different story. Yeah. And if that was the story that you had believed, then by attuning to the physical sensation happening and to the story around it, you could actually help yourself by by soothing it, by being curious about it, by offering that sensation and yourself within it compassion, you can shift the way your body is experiencing being here so that the story that you start to experience would be one of greater safety and mm. solidarity and encouragement, like one where you're allowed to show up. So yeah. that's kind of like a very long-winded way of answering your question. but <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah it's it's, there's so much room and it's not so it's not just emotional awareness really it's like by becoming more aware of our bodies we can actually increasingly show up into a story where there is space for us and we will be loved
0: Mm. yeah and it's interesting how somebody said to me one time or I heard it somewhere. It made a big impact, whatever it was. It was that excitement and anxiety often feel very similar. And, it, you know, it's about if you're nervous before an interview, for instance, you could also kind of reframe it a little bit. Well, I'm also excited. You know, you could yep. you, you can reframe it. It doesn't mean you're, you know, like lying whole cloth because you're probably both. But but the other thing, too, is just thinking. Maybe I don't know what I feel yet. And just being curious about, yeah, not making up your mind. Like I'm scared. I'm right. worried. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm unsafe. I'm, I'm safe right now.
1: The same, yeah. What you're pointing out is that the same physical sensation, it doesn't have to retain the same bad story. Mm-hmm. So the sensation of excitement that could feel exactly like anxiety, it mm-hmm. doesn't have to mean fear.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, we right. can we can actually show up in a way with when we practice curiosity and compassion toward ourselves and our bodies and toward others, Mm -hmm. we can actually increasingly experience the same physical sensations of pain or Mm -hmm. um, distress as uh, like they become transformed into something that is better, better than fear, better than shame, better than even better than anger. All right. better than abandonment, all of those things.
0: Mm. Kind of riffing off that, there's a portion in your book that's a, chapter nine called Communion of Saints. And this was really powerful to read. You talk about communion, the, the sacrament or the remembrance itself. And of course, you talk about communion in terms of being with others. And I was hoping you could flesh out a piece or unpack a little bit of what you're talking about as you bring this in. Um, this this piece and also the repentance piece in the book are two parts that, that kind of surprised me about the book, but it, was, but it was really, you know, real pleasant surprise. But I was kind of like, oh, wow, she's working in this piece and this piece. You know, it was really, I guess you could say that was a departure from my book, which I felt like was so you know, such a pleasant surprise. And so it would be great if you could just touch on those points of sort of give people a taste of what you mean. The church,
1: just for listeners to get a little sense of what this meant to me, um, the church where I, where we were at the time, we would take communion in a circle. So everybody in the church would make this big circle around the edges. And it was so packed tight that like, Mm You know, our bodies are squished up next to each other. And uh, there's a lot of times when my disease is really not managed uh, where I can't stand very much. Mm -hmm. And so I had to sit in a chair and I felt really ashamed of like, here I am, like the woman next to me is in her 60s and there's people in their 70s and they don't have to sit down, but I have to sit down. I was in my Mm -hmm. 20s, early 20s then and um so I felt really ashamed to be in this broken body and somebody had to go get me a chair because there were pews in there not chairs and so pull like a chair over there for me you know go out of their way to do that and everybody can see because it's mm. a damn circle <laughs> and you know and then I'm given the communion elements of the the bread and the wine and I realized, you know, they give it the body of Christ broken for you, Mm -hmm. the blood of Christ poured out for you. And, you know, in these hands that could barely wrap themselves around the communion cup to lift it to my own lips, Mm -hmm. I got to experience that Jesus Christ's body was broken on my behalf so that my broken body, this body that could barely lift a plastic cup to my own lips could Mm -hmm. be a place where I could know God's presence. Mm -hmm. And suddenly my shame Mm -hmm. receded. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It like melted away onto the floor Mm -hmm. and the tears that started to flow down my face weren't because I wanted to go hide, but they were because I was tasting a truth. I was, I was seeing the reality of, the bread and the wine that all of us were eating and drinking, I was seeing it fill up my whole self and become real. Mm -hmm. And, and then to carry that with me Mm -hmm. out into the rest of my day, the rest of my week, that experience is one that repeats itself, not necessarily in a circle, at a, the same church, you know, I live across the country in a different place now, but that mm-hmm. every time that I come to the table, I can remember Jesus's broken body. And every mm-hmm. time that I feel the brokenness in my body, no matter where I am, whether I am, what whether I've set foot inside the doors of a church or I am sitting, laying down, you know, prone in my bathtub, mm-hmm. the brokenness in my body becomes a place of communion with Christ. And Mm -hmm. I can carry that experience of being seen, the solidarity of Jesus's willingness to be broken. I can carry that by my very presence to everyone around me. Mm -hmm. I can become an instrument of his peace and an extension of his eyes and look at the people i see in the face and show them your brokenness is welcome to that's i guess how i've been spiritually formed by communion um and you know receiving other people's presence who have experienced that deep solidarity with jesus too yeah i've
0: Looked into theology of disability and ableism, and having my own uh, son with intellectual disabilities. And, you know, this whole idea of questioning like who is actually able, who, because right. you're only able for a period of time at best. You know, like everybody's right. gonna, everyone's gonna suffer with some kind of illness or, or death. And that's normal, not abnormal um that we all suffer with it it's just this kind of strange little delusion that we think well yeah I'm I'm a healthy you know if somebody happens to be healthy I'm healthy and that's normal it's like if you have ever healthy you have no you're sort of on the abnormal side actually yeah it's
1: if- only we only think it's normal because we we hide we hide mm. our aged people we yeah. hide the sick like we put we put brokenness behind closed doors. Right. So we think that it's not normal, but it's only because we have hidden it to yeah. places outside of our site. Right.
0: Yeah. Because you're not going to see, you don't see models in wheelchairs or disfigured mm-hmm. or, you know, that have real ordinary problems, you know, selling you things. Right. That's, that's the one main thing we get fed all the time. This is what, this is what it is to right. be a person. It's like, that's what it's like to be a person for like 1% of the population for a brief period of like, I don't know, eight years or something. You know, it's, it's really not, it's not accurate. And then you talk about other things in terms of other things like intellectual disabilities or, you know, anyway, the, the idea about how we will hold up being able-bodied and able-minded is, and put it and worship it essentially, put it on a pedestal, also is denying our humanity at the very same time and also denying what Jesus was like, because Jesus was broken and Jesus mm-hmm. did suffer exhaustion and did suffer bodily. And and mm-hmm. it's we don't see, you know, Jesus giving up the ghost after um withstanding flogging and not having marks because he was like Thor or something. You know, (laughs) we see a a human being getting, you know, almost beaten to death and probably very serious blood loss. Can't carry his own cross at all because he's totally wiped.
1: Yes. I love that part of the story that he can't carry his own cross.
0: Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. He, he is unable to, to manage because he's weakened incredibly physically weakened and would probably have died of blood loss if they hadn't, if he hadn't have given up the ghost or maybe that was part of it or whatever. But the whole idea is that we're talking about someone with a broken body And yet we're not supposed to have them. You know, we're supposed to hope that we don't have broken bodies or something. And I guess it's just there has to be a kind of reckoning to to take our humanity in all of its forms. Like its forms tend to be not perfect ones. And they tend to be ones that kind of suck sometimes. And that's okay. (laughs) We just have to get used to the idea.
1: My my favorite author, Kathleen Norris, um, Um, said, wrote... um, Something to the extent of you try to be holy without being human first. Uh, And it's like, why do we do that? If Jesus is the embodiment of God's love and God's mm -hmm. holiness, God made flesh, human as they come. Why do we think that holiness and fullness of life would reside anywhere else than in our humanity yeah right right
0: yeah it's like let's not try to outdo jesus (laughs) just for once yes (laughs) yes yes (laughs) you know we've been um,
1: more shaped by the superhero gospel than the real one with a god who bled
0: right you know it struck me it was this fall and it struck me oh jesus was having a panic attack in the gethsemane Mm-hmm. Garden. He was, he was having a full-on anxiety attack. Like nobody talks about that. Like he, that was a mental health issue. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that was okay. Like he, it's fine that he right. had. Like
1: the weight, a- the weight of what he was facing, mm-hmm. actually affected him.
0: Yeah, and and it, and it was it normal.
1: If it didn't, you're right. Like if it didn't affect him, could he really be? the great high priest who can sympathize with us and all of right. our weaknesses. Right. No, no, but he is.
0: Tend to not really think of the humanity part. We think, well, he, he, you know, he knew everything. He could fix anything. He could do all this. Well, he was having a full onslaught breakdown and like, you know not looking forward to what was going to happen and hoping it wasn't going to happen and just like any one of us would you know just yep. like that's what i would have done i would have been like oh no oh no oh no oh no <laughs> yeah. and, and he and so it's interesting cuz that's really kind of conveniently forgotten it's not like this we don't think of that as holy too and and his crying out and and being super anguished and just wanting to not feel alone—that's why he asked his friends to like not take naps. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, could you just be here? Yeah, because he wanted the same thing. That I talked about yeah, he wants the exact yeah. same things, and it—and then somehow we put ourselves through this thing while, well, as if we could outdo Jesus somehow. <laughs> like, why yeah. do I feel so well, bad? You know, it's interesting. Yep.
1: Yeah, we just we try to sidestep our way around the parts of the story where we would most encounter God's love because we're Mm. so terrified of vulnerability. And Mm. I guess that's the whole point of my book. It's like, you don't have to be so scared. If Jesus went there first, you can go there too.
0: Yeah. There's this part about... uh, I'm going to try to find it and read this little section... Which i was talking about repentance and you you mentioned yeah. that um this is an interesting
1: chapter <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh for all of us i'm sure um <laughs> <let's see. laughs> page 213 because it's repent
1: well because it's repentance not how you think how you <laughs> yeah think. yeah it's
0: a reversal so yeah so on on page 213 you say repentance is a hospitality of heart to god's heart holding every moment molecule and human connection in an unfolding story that ends not in disappointment but joy grace invites us to change by stepping into that story through trust formed one courageous encounter at a time courage is the virtue that empowers repentance and choosing um, it is choosing to inhabit our broken bodies and imperfect relationships with trust and attention, especially when we are scared, because we believe, even just a teeny bit, that God does uh, with us. Getting my tang tangled. It's okay. That God does with us and has named us loved. I, I don't know if we want to add anything to that or or uh, riff on that yeah. at all.
1: Definitely. I mean, those are some of my favorite parts of the whole book. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: We think that
1: courage is like, okay, we think of repentance in the context of uh, you did something bad and you need to confess it and turn away from it. Mm. Uh, But repentance is is about turning. But it's about turning from this lifeless way where you're not allowed to be human Mm. and turning toward the God who chose to make humanity a place of grace, turning toward this God who the father called beloved and learning to hear those same words. You are my beloved child with you. I am well pleased. It's Mm. turning your head Turning your body toward that father calling out to you mm-hmm. in every moment of your life saying, I already love you mm-hmm. right here, right now. I love you. I love you. I love you. And so courage is that that choice to turn, to listen for that voice, even in the middle of – circumstances like mine with the disease that won't quit or a, div- you know, not me, but like a divorce that you didn't want or, you know, financial rupture, courage is this willingness to to turn and to still hear the voice of the father saying, you are my beloved child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, what I've found in my work as a therapist and my study of neuroscience is that that repeated willingness to turn Mm -hmm. and to to find um to find soothing comfort in the presence of this god that we can't even see but it's real that repetition Mm -hmm. actually changes the way that our nervous systems work so like we Mm -hmm. talked about earlier Story follows state. Well, the the state of our nervous systems. We over time, as we turn to this God who is with us and actually calls us loved, we shift more readily into into calm, into joy, into connection, and our nervous systems become ordered mm-hmm. by love. Mm-hmm. We no longer. The the default bent of the shift that happens in your body that creates a story where you are alone and everything is shitty, that default gets changed. Mm. And the story that you live becomes one where you're always loved Mm. and you're never alone. Mm. And that's actually written into the very structure of our nervous systems. Mm. Um, so that that's actually what the next book I'm writing about is about, but Ooh, like courage and, and that, yeah, you're getting a little preview. But so you know, <laughs> it's like this is it's courage is not these big decisions where like the mom lifts the the two thousand pound car off of her child. Like mm-hmm. sure, that's courageous, but but courage is actually this choice that is. Accessible to each one of us in every tiny moment of our days where we can shift from mindlessness and rejection of our own um, inadequacies, our own humanity, and toward this acceptance of our belovedness mm. every moment. And over time, that becomes a habit. And over time, that habit becomes your whole heart. Mm-hmm. um and your whole story changes
0: i like the idea about repentance being about relationship not shame you know um yeah cuz i think that that's the the drilling that i got early on was and maybe it's not inaccurate it's just a picture that takes you in one direction instead of another it's like you're sinful you're your piece of garbage turn from your sins mm. and follow god so he's not so angry with you and that's Ugh. one picture right but then there's another picture of god loves you so so much god is like jesus and jesus wants to be with you and mm-hmm. jesus wants to love and comfort you and you're worth that comfort you you are uh, beloved child of God and turn back to me, come back to me, you know, and yep. let's, let's do this together. And so it's, it's kind of like, you know, there are different ways of seeing repentance. One can lead you toward a kind of sketchy <laughs> back and forth <laughs> kind of repentance, like going to kind of ping pong around. And the other one can maybe lead you to a like a, disciplines that keep you, uh, or practices yes. that can keep you on a more stable road of closer relationship with God, perhaps.
1: Yeah. Everything in this whole world is made up of energy. Matter is energy. Um, you know, and, and 95% of the, the energy in this world is invisible. You know, mm. only 5% of matter is visible. Mm.
0: And, and,
1: emotions are energy Mm -hmm. the the neural connections happening in your nervous system is energy Mm -hmm. why do we think that we have to use the scarce and shoddy Mm -hmm. (laughs) energy of shame to turn Mm -hmm. toward god when we have the limitless energy of love Mm -hmm. the love of jesus in -hmm. christ the kindness of god leads to repentance This Mm -hmm. love is what compels us to turn, Mm -hmm. not our shame. And it's like repentance is God saying, I already took care of the shame. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I'm not ashamed of you. Mm -hmm. I love you. Always Mm -hmm. love you. Mm
0: -hmm. Come.
1: It's us actually. It's choosing to hear that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It can take a whole reconditioning of. A mind sometimes, if you haven't experienced that in real life from people, yes. and you've had, you know, very conditional love, uh, it will be easy to project that onto God. So it's it can be a, a healing process in many ways, like a healing feeling from trauma can can be the trauma, the spiritual trauma too, and you know, learning um, a kind of theology that is actually. Um, death dealing I, I instead mm-hmm. of the gospel which is we know what the gospel is it's you know to set the captives free to proclaim the year of our Lord yes. you know has come and those are those are good words happy words <laughs> those are yes. those are like celebratory <laughs> words um, and and uh, we might not feel that that has been the message we've gotten but but if we look at who the person of Jesus is and the kindness, that that picture does come across pretty loud and clear.
1: It does. It does. And we can we can see we can see the face of God a little bit mm-hmm. when we experience safety with each other. Mm, I agree. going yeah, you know, to come full circle to you, ask like, yeah. what are the good ways that people have. Mm-hmm. The people of Christ even have shown up for me in suffering, yeah. the people who could sit with me and not fix me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen the face of God and the people who can sit with me in sorrow. Mm-hmm. And in, you know, the face of my pastor uh, weeping mm-hmm. as he heard our story of being abused by another pastor. Mm-hmm. And and then my therapist, uh, being full of empathy mm-hmm. for the generational trauma in my story, mm-hmm. that's where I get a glimpse of how God sees me, mm-hmm. and I also think that they see Jesus in me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that there is a profound truth that we don't like to see that it's it's the least of these, it's the broken, mm-hmm. it is the poor. Is the people on the margins who are normally discarded or put behind closed doors by our society that most show us the face of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the church and the world needs our stories. Those of us who can't do everything and we, we, the American dream is bullshit for us. It hasn't worked for me. We show people the face of God. We have to be willing to show up and show this other story.
0: The gospel comes to us from the margins. And if it's not coming from the margins, it probably isn't the gospel. Um I don't know if you got a chance. This will be cut out, but I don't know if you get a chance to see the PBS series about the Black Church, the history of the Black Church. Oh no,
1: I just saw the oh, um, interview boy. with Jimmy Fallon, and so I was like, "Oh my goodness, we have to watch this."
0: this it's so, so worth it. There' a lot of PBS. Well, actually, you can stream it right from the the yeah. PBS uh, black, uh, black Church site, and everything. You can stream it, and it's just two two hour um, sessions. But that is the gospel. That and I'm like, this is on PBS. What a what a shock! Uh, but it's yeah. just the gospel over and over, and the songs, and, and the songs with theology, and the and they're the way to freedom. They're the way to freedom of every kind. And it just was so inspirational. And I was like, this isn't uh, empire yes. theology at all. This isn't right. white people's theology at all, because the white people's God, that Christian God, wanted to keep them enslaved and wanted them to not have any liberation. Jesus would come to free, free the captives and they would take that word of the Bible right out. Anyway, it was, it's just so, such a blessing to watch it. But then you realize we gotta double down. The stories on the margins are the stories of the gospel. And they have to be the stories that we teach our children and that we teach, that we teach the world because the the agenda type stories to for power are co-opted they're they're uh, perverse sometimes and
1: mm-hmm.
0: not to say that the black church always got it right the program shows that they haven't always got it right there were pro- there's been problems but that's that's kind of um that's my heart too is is that um if there's somebody being left out that is who, that is the soft spot of God. That is a soft spot in the heart of God.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. My, my husband, I hope you don't cut any of that out. Cause that was awesome. <laughs> my husband was talking to a friend who is, he, he just resigned as an elder in his church over the pastors being unwilling to wear masks and he and his whole family are really high risk and he yeah. said something like when will the vision of the church change from we'll sacrifice the one to go after 99 more to mm. we will not we will not accumulate 99 more until the one is whole
0: mm.
1: like that's the gospel is we have this good shepherd who goes after the one Mm-hmm. that that binds up the the hurting goes after the lost the mm-hmm. least and we have so ordered society and church life around the accumulation of more power more people mm-hmm. and we've lost our very souls i think yeah.
0: that'll preach <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that we missed in the book that you would like to point people toward or any nugget that you'd like to kind of end with?
1: I just hope that people can find their own story within it. Like, Even though a lot of my story that I share in this particular book is about living with a chronic illness, my prayer in writing it was that you could find your story within it of your own hard things that maybe you haven't even allowed yourself to call suffering, but mm. that have hounded your soul. I just pray that my words can make a a spacious place to think about your own story mm. and the, the spot where Jesus already stands ready to meet you.
0: Well, thank you so much for writing it. And if people are interested in finding you online or on Twitter, what are those details?
1: Yeah. Um, all across social media, you can find me at KJ Ramsey W R I T E S. I particularly love Instagram, but I also just say random stuff on Twitter. So come find me either place. And I also have a website, KJramsey.com and I do like a monthly-ish essay for subscribers, things like that. But come say hello.
0: This has been just such a light. I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful that you could make the time. I know it's not always possible because illness and things come up, but this has really been great. So thank you so much.
1: Likewise. Thank you so much.